0: Izzy slash Lexi.
1: Hi, I'm Rebecca and I'm a Lexi slash Moody. Nope, that's wrong. (laughs) I'm a Pearl
2: slash Moody. It's early. (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca's really going through some changes. I'm Teresa and I'm just plain Moody and we are big little podcast back to talk about episode 6, The Uncanny of... What is this show even called? Little Fires Everywhere. Um, We're off to a great Caroline, start today. <laughs> we are off to a great start. Things are a mess. I'm in. I've lost access to my pod closet, and so now I'm in a fort, just like Rebecca. Um, if my dogs break in here in the middle of this, I apologize. Um, all that being said, Carolyn, do you want to explain what the hell is going on in the show to us? Well,
0: I'll try. Okay, so as we know, last week we were talking about how were they going to fill the rest of these episodes. So here it is, guys, the episode we didn't ask for or need. It's an hour-long flashback episode filled with not Carrie Washington or Reese Witherspoon. Just when I thought this show couldn't captivate me less. Here we go. We start with <laughs> Mia and her family in Pennsylvania praying Mia off to art school in New York City where the sinners are, and hopefully also praying her brother into the NFL. Uh, Mia and Warren seem like they have a nice close relationship, Warren being her brother. Uh, In the next scene, he tries to give her money and mace to take to New York City. She takes the mace. Mia starts school and feels like an outcast with all the white kids till her beautiful black art teacher, Pauline Hawthorne, walks in. Mia immediately begins to bond with this professor, Uh, when a suspicious man in a trench coat on the graffiti-filled subway who keeps staring at her finally confronts her and offers her money to carry a baby for him and his wife. And this is perfect because her scholarship was just cut. So she becomes the virgin mother using a turkey baster um, in the bedroom of this nice couple's home. Uh, Warren comes to visit Mia, who is living with Pauline, and uh, he is in shock that Mia is pregnant because... His biggest news is that he has uh, bought a a blue car. I think it's like a Chevy. Doesn't matter. Anyway, he seems to reconcile that she is pregnant with someone else's child. She gives him a Statue of Liberty to hang over the rearview mirror, but we later learn he uses it as a keychain. And then she goes upstairs, gets into the bathtub with Pauline, takes that infamous photo, and has sex with her. A few months later, Mia gets a call that Warren is dead. She goes home. Her parents are appalled she's pregnant, won't even let her go to the funeral for her precious brother. So she obviously completely loses it, uh, tells the nice couple who paid her to have the baby that she had a miscarriage, takes her brother's car and pieces the fuck out, leaving everything behind. We then see Pearl is born somewhere in California. She names her Pearl Warren for her brother. Um, she got, calls Pauline to let her know about the baby, but Anita answers and tells her that Pauline died of ovarian cancer very quickly and that she left her the bathtub photo in case she needed to sell it. She also says that the couple has been looking for her and that she is there for her. And then we see Mia and Pearl aging as they drive all the fuck over in the car. Meanwhile, Elena is living in that duplex in Shaker Heights with three babies and everything is dandy. She's gonna go back to work because she can have it all, but it turns out she can't. Someone else got the promotion while she was on maternity leave and whoops-a-daisy, she's pregnant again because she waited way too long to learn about birth control. She pukes at dinner which poor Linda sees as basically a bitch slap brag because she's had a miscarriage and poor Elena actually wants an abortion, even though her mother says that is an option only for certain kinds of people. And her husband, Bill, is jazzed up about the pregnancy anyway and even agrees to finally take the house that Elena's parents have been offering to buy them. Cut to the life in the new house with the four kids and the house is a shambles and Elaine has a screaming baby who won't eat and won't shut up, shades of BB. Bill comes home and she breaks. after she breaks all their dishes, she runs out to quote, buy a pacifier, which really becomes code for calling her ex Jamie after a throwback disco jam is playing in the drugstore. Jamie drives six hours from New York City to Ohio to meet up with her and then she won't even put out because of guilt and she's lactating. She goes home to rock the crying baby, but Bill finds Jamie's name and numbers scrawled on a piece of paper. And thus ends the flashback episode that I'm not sure we needed or wanted.
2: Well, thank you. Um, I feel like we needed at least half of this episode, but the other half we could have done without. Um, So this episode is called The Uncanny, which comes sort of from something Pauline says to Mia Which says, like, she's looking at her self-portrait. She's like, you have to capture what is terrifying, repulsive, or uncanny about you. And I was like, uncanny. Because when I, I mean, the time we use the word uncanny the most is like, someone bears an uncanny resemblance, right? So I was like, what does this word actually mean? And I looked it up. And it means strange or mysterious, especially in an unsettling way. And so I'm just wondering who the hell is uncanny in this episode? Well, I took actually a whole class in my master's on the uncanny
1: as like a psychological <laughs> principle for literature. And the, okay. the example that they used in class was this German fairy tale called B- Das Sandmann, which was basically about this like human esque figure that had buttons for eyes that would like steal children. And it was the idea of something normal corrupted into something terrifying, and that manifests mm. a lot in art. So I, I get, oh my god, why, like
0: Neil Gaiman's Coraline,
1: exactly, like stuff like that that is grounded in something comfortable and familiar, like a doll, but then is taken to like this weird, oftentimes supernatural, disturbing place. So like I get where why they framed the episode with this, like they're really trying to provide context for you know. A, a, a young woman who makes a decision to become a surrogate, become a mother, but not a mother. So I do think there is like that uncanniness to the whole aspect of surrogacy. And then, of course, her decision at the end of the episode not to give the baby to the parents. I, I, I get why they were trying to do this. I just think they, it was it was not ultimately successful if we're having to have a conversation about it.
2: All right. I'm glad you took that class because otherwise we'd be sitting here like, uh, I don't know. Um, all right. So let's talk about me. We'll start with Mia today. I think, um, her parents don't want her to come back a prostitute or a lesbian from New York city. Um, Essentially, as though these two are the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And, um, and she's like, perhaps the least fun prostitute that's ever existed. Like she doesn't even get to at least have sex. She does that Um, one
1: bump of cocaine. That's the most fun she seems to have this whole episode.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want to talk a little bit about Tiffany Boone, who plays young Mia. Um, She has perfected Carrie Washington's mouth acting. Yes. And I yeah. know this because, like, this is just not natural to her because she's actually on Hunters, one of the shows that I recommended earlier this season. And she's playing a badass Nazi hunter who does not constantly snarl and sneer at everything but I I just like left this wishing they'd just given Tiffany Boone the role and like aged her or something to play older Mia so I'm glad you brought up the aging thing because that drove me absolutely
1: crazy this whole episode you know there was no continuity the fact that they're trying to pass off Mm -hmm. both of these actresses as the younger versions and then age them up to 40 year old women a mere you know 13 years later It was so distracting Mm -hmm. to me. I'm like, we live in the age of CGI. Like, I don't understand why they couldn't have just aged down Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington appropriately with makeup Mm -hmm. or other means than casting. I'm happy with the actresses. Like, I thought that they both did a really lovely job, and especially uh, Tiffany did a fantastic job of capturing all of Kerry Washington's mannerisms. The actor that played young Bill also, I thought, like, at times I thought that he was dubbing in... um, joshua jackson's voice pacy yeah because it really did sound like him so mm-hmm. i thought that everybody did really nice work i just don't understand the choice from a direction standpoint like why they thought to do that it was distracting it was it really wild me. yeah
0: it was so wild this whole episode yes i agree tiffany boone killed it she nailed a Kerry washington impression or like a carrie mm-hmm. washington bizarrely acting as this character impression Um, And I also agree with what you said, Teresa, that like she maybe should have just been playing this role in general because there was a softer approach that she was taking Mm -hmm. underneath that, like sour sucking a lemon face that I keep complaining about that Carrie Washington is Mm -hmm. pulling. Um, But the, the thing is for me with, with this whole episode is why? Like, just why? Why the fuck <laughs> are these young actresses playing somebody? Like, think about yourself, like, 13 years ago. Like, you didn't look that different that you would have need to have been played by an entirely different person.
1: And, and Anna then, Sophia Robb in particular looks mm. so, so baby-faced that it just, it looked like when she, a 12-year-old was taking care of these four children. I was like, I just don't buy that this is, you know, a young 20-something with four kids. She like,
0: doesn't she looks even so young. look like Reese Witherspoon. I am sorry, but it was so distracting to me. I was supposed to accept her as Elena. I had a better time accepting Tiffany Boone as Mia, but I don't know. I just, if I wasn't watching this show for this podcast and I hadn't already tuned out, this episode would have made me tune out.
1: So, speaking of the scene with Tiffany and, uh, in the bathtub and all that. Like, why did they make the choice to have the young actor in that scene? But then the picture we saw the episode before be Carrie Washington. I was so like distracted by this. I started going on a bender being like, maybe this is what they're talking about by the uncanny. Like we're just supposed to forget that the episode before was the older actress. And like, that's what they're trying to work in here. That it's confusing and a little off putting that we've swapped out an actress from one episode to the next or a picture that contains such significance to the plot. I mean,
2: this is how, like, far
1: I was trying to grasp to make that make sense. Because it just seemed sloppy. I had an
2: entire question in here about that. In addition, here's another... Like, I the mechanics of this doesn't work for me. Because we also see that, you know, in that same scene, Mia is taking the picture of Pauline that we see her develop. Like, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before. Pauline is like... So she's just now developing this picture of Pauline. But she only has this how did the other picture get yep. developed it was all on the same camera in the same roll of film they're in the bathtub they weren't changing out the film right like it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense that it's tiffany boone in the tub but then we see mia and they could have just they could have just told they could have just taken a picture of tiffany boone and been like oh mia is this you and then it would have been more believable when mia was like Yes. no, that's not no, that's not me. Totally, you know. How about like, the scene too? Like when she's not...
1: driving with the little with Pearl in the back, and it goes to the montage of both of them aging up. Except the one where she's a baby, mm-hmm. it's Tiffany Boone, and yet, like we saw in the second episode, the flashback of Mia having sex with the guy in the front seat with the baby in the back, and it's Cleary Washington. Oh, right. It just mm-hmm. like all that stuff. I'm like, I unless they're really <laughs> trying to make like an art statement here. Like, I, I think this is just truly, truly sloppy choices.
0: I don't no, think yeah, it's an it's art so statement at I don't at think, all. think
1: so either. I was desperately trying to put something together before this. So I'm like, maybe it's this, maybe it's the whole point. They called it the uncanny is it's now become like
2: supernatural and uncanny. I don't know. It was just, it's,
1: it baffled me.
2: I... So we've kind of touched on this, but she's a much more likable version of Mia. Definitely, And I would have liked to have seen her given the chance to just play this role. Um, and so, and one of the most sort of, I don't know, heart-wrenching moments is when we see her getting impregnated by a baster in some very Handmaid's Tale, fucked up, like... It was very Blessed home. Be the Fruit. Yeah, I mean, I, like, home insemination, it was so weird. Like, I, you know, in the book, I feel like they just drag this out longer, not drag it out, but they, like, it marinates more, and so it's a little bit more believable, like, we get we get so much more background around this and we get to know Joe and his wife a little bit more. I think her name's Madeline. And, and it's just like, you just showed up in these people's house and let them impregnate. Like, this is crazy. Like he could have the herp. You don't know. Like what is going on? Yeah. And, and the choices they made too, they've changed, you know, the
1: relationship with Pauline, which is bringing in a whole nother element to mm-hmm. the character, which I don't necessarily think is a bad choice. I think there's enough, context in the book to go there but the book didn't and I think that Mm -hmm. setting up the comparison for both Mia and Izzy being you know lesbians in a world that's not super woke to that yet is interesting I just I feel like they're trying to tick every single box unnecessarily and not actually like yeah, digging it, into why that motivates the character, why that maybe turns Mia into the salty person she is. Like they don't, yes, she's devastated that Pauline dies. Yes, it's because she was her lover, but it's just as devastating in the book when Pauline dies and she's not, you know, Mia's lover. It, yeah, it, she's not. It didn't it's she's unnecessary. Just her I
0: think they're just trying like Wait, I have not read the book, so I didn't know how much of this episode was fabricated for the series versus how much um, is actually in the book from the source material. and for me, a, a, a big I mean a, a big thing about Mia's character and backstory and this photograph was that she had a relationship with Pauline. and so now you're telling me that in the book she didn't.
2: No, Pauline is just her mentor in the book is she Pauline is a lesbian and she, but she has a partner and they're very warm and kind to me and they actually even, offer to pay for her school, I think. Yes. So that she doesn't have to go like sell herself to like to be a baby factory to stay in school. Um and she turns them down. But um but no, they're not a couple and that's actually something I wanted to bring up because I thought it was a it's a little bit of a weird choice because if she was a man you If Pauline was a man, yep. we would be like different conversation. She's a predator. Yeah, yeah I like mean like she yeah. And well,
1: I mean, just I because she's a woman of... doesn't mean it's not predatory. Yeah. I mean, and okay, yes, it's college, so there's, things are slightly different, but there is a power imbalance mm-hmm. here, and that's what predatory yeah. behavior is, is somebody in a position of power taking advantage of somebody else. And she, I thought the whole thing with them in the dark room where she's saying, like, what mm-hmm. do you want, like putting the onus on Mia, was super creepy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I just, I, I felt the same way. I I thought that their relationship right from the start seemed it it was kind of there was something kind of skeezy about it uh in this very uh, you know it's the same thing i felt the same way about it that i would have had she been a man i mean i grew Mm -hmm. to see that they had this kind of you know that it, it did develop into a relationship but it still felt very like rebecca said there was a power imbalance that made it uncomfortable
2: it, it was really weird. Like when she, I mean, she helps her get a show, right? And she... Oh, I hated that scene too. Oof. Yeah. I, I mean, she's taking her out. She's taking one of her students out, first of all, and doing drugs with her. And it's not like she's smoking weed with her. She's giving this kid blow who's clearly just like fallen off a turnip truck from Pennsylvania. And she's like, here you go. Um, and then you know, there's just something about... She's, i you know, she's sort of, it's sort of a trope, I guess. And, but it really does feel... So, Like, I get the feeling that the next hot young thing that comes along who's really talented, Pauline's out the door, right? And I think part of that is the fact that they've chosen to just spring this all on us at once. Like, if they had been giving us more clues and a glimpse into young Mia's life when she was a student and they didn't necessarily need to show us the stuff about the pregnancy, but we could have seen her going off to New York and you know, learned more about her relationship with her brother and saw her developing a relationship with Pauline all throughout these in little flashbacks. And instead, it's just like, oh, here's a predatory lesbian who's taking advantage of this, like, 18-year-old girl who just showed up in New York City for the first time, who clearly comes from a home of religious zealots. Like, yeah, I... I think they did a bad job of executing this story. Yeah, and I've been, like, somewhat impressed with the way they've handled Izzy's storyline.
1: Like, that at least has felt Mm -hmm. nuanced and true to a young girl in an environment that's not hospitable to this. And the the self-loathing and yet the self-discovery, all of that felt really earnest and interesting and powerful. And this just felt like we need more bookends, which the show just does not seem to get enough of. Like, they want the cinematic parallels Mm -hmm. To the point where they're like rewriting the source text to make it more balanced for whatever narrative they've concocted. And my problem with all of this is it hasn't given me any sympathy. Like it's not made me like the character anymore. It's Mm -hmm. not added more depth to the character. And by adding all this stuff on, you have to imagine that was the writer's intention was to make the character... more dynamic but it's completely backfired i mean it it's baffling and it doesn't line up like this what we see of mia in the second episode having casual sex with a dude in the backseat of the car does not align with the virginal sensuous mia we see as a kid and and then there's that overlap where the baby is that age when she's young and i I, it just doesn't it seems like it was hastily done that's like the nicest
2: thing i can say about it it also kind of bugs me that like the two artist characters also have to be lesbians. Right, they couldn't possibly, like, you couldn't possibly just be an artist or you couldn't possibly yeah. just be a lesbian. You have to be, like, the kooky one in Everybody all Everybody knows all of, artists are lesbians yeah. Yeah. anyways, so... <laughs> yeah, the Venn diagram is a complete overlap. Yes.
0: <laughs> I, I had so much trouble sitting through this episode. I cannot say that enough throughout this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that i i I mean it I was forcing it down. It was like it, it was just not palpable to me. And yes, I a hundred percent agree that it is a complete fail on so many levels, and one of them is that these characters are not any more likable or relatable or richer in their development because of this. And a big part of that is, I think, because these aren't even the same characters. Like, that was, I, I was so bothered by this casting change, too. Um, but, I, I mean, I almost feel like, yet again, if I had to choose which one I had sympathy for, it, I, I still feel like it's Elena, like, I feel like a, the Elena 1982 versus the Mia 1982 was a much more pathetic character.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we understand, like, a harried mother, you know, who's overwhelmed by young children. Like, w- we probably all have friends like that. Maybe not you, Rebecca. Your friends probably aren't, aren't up to three children yet. But oh, we God. all have kids who are friends who have kids and who feel a little of, overwhelmed. But, like, we don't all have friends who stole a baby. So... <laughs> <laughs> what insane. do you mean? I got plenty of friends and stolen babies. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Yeah, I mean, and also, like, Elena, it felt like she, ha- like, lost the most. I mean, we're supposed to see Mia as right. having lost her brother, her parents, you know, and then she loses Pauline, but, like, she there's a, a certain extent to which Mia threw things away. She didn't lose mm-hmm. them. Elena, at least... I found myself thinking like she really suffered because she she didn't get have there were a lot of like opportunities, this like sense of longing for this life that she didn't even she didn't even have the courage to try. And that made her an even more pitiful character to me. So I felt more for her. Elena, in some ways, is yet again kind of painted as the more sympathetic of the two in this weird way. Where they make kind of, they they sort of, it's, it's this like villainizing of Mia that I, I found here even more disturbing.
2: Well, I think, again, this goes back to the like hurried nature of this. Because in the book, one, you see, you get a better understanding of her parents being unwilling to pay for her college specifically because she wants to go to art school. Yes. And then... You see her trying to work, like, three jobs to keep her head above water, and none of her other um, classmates having to do that. And then she gets her financial aid to t- taken away from her, which, again, seems weird because, like, she's, like, blaming it on Reagan, but, like... <laughs> I, but you know like a school's a school like they had you know she's at a fancy art college in new york city they have endowments like and at this point she's basically pauline's pet student you can't tell me that she couldn't find help her find a way to stay in school yeah totally even if it was through like working she could have like gotten her jobs like you know taking pet photos in the park or something if they, like to pay the you know $12,000 of her tuition
0: right so remember when Mia says like I didn't I didn't have good choices mm -hmm. remember when she yells at Elena that popped into my head while watching this because that was that was proved so inaccurate she could have had better choices she did have good choices she just didn't make them
2: even if you think of this this you know surrogacy as a bad choice like it's still a choice most people didn't have like you know most of us who had to take out student loans to go to school didn't have anyone suddenly want them to be a surrogate and be willing to pay them tens of thousands of dollars to do it you know like it's a weird choice but it's not necessarily a terrible choice And also you're in art school. Like, is she, we're supposed to believe she's so wildly talented and she's been taken under the wing of Pauline. Like she didn't need to finish school. You know what I mean? Right. She's yeah. already like it's she's got a mentor who's helping her get shows like she's a photographer. She no one's going to ask her about her degree at the end of this. So, yeah, uh, if anyone uh, in college is listening to this, your degree
1: literally doesn't matter ever. No one has ever asked me yeah. ever ever about my degree. So you good.
2: I yeah. once went to a job interview where the lady, and and this was, I mean, I'd been out of school for probably 10 years at this point, and she asked me what my GPA was and what my <laughs> SAT scores were, and I Bad. was like... I have no idea like I why are you even asking like I'm leaving now I don't want this job because I can't believe you would ask me that question
1: yeah you really do not want a job if somebody asks about your GPA
0: (laughs) I mean I have a degree in the arts like I have a theater and art history degree and though that's exactly the kind of degree that probably doesn't matter the only thing (laughs) that maybe matters are like the connections you made along the way which she already
1: made Mia had the connections locked down like there is no need for this struggle I think the thing that, like, decision-wise that I struggled with the most was not so much her decision to become a surrogate because she is such a naive character that was desperate. You know, I could see a a naive 18-year-old, 19-year-old being like, well, you know, I'm desperate. I need to do this. It was more the way the show handled her decision to keep the baby that confused me Mm -hmm. because there wasn't anything – underpinning that that, you know, really made you feel like she wanted to be a mother, she wanted to be a caregiver. It was just the one conversation with Warren being like, well, if I can't, you know, be the kid's uncle and then when Warren passes away, she's suddenly like giving everything up to keep the baby. I, I can understand how like emotions and grief can make people do crazy things, but it-, it just didn't seem true to the portrayal of the character that they'd presented to us in the moment to keep the baby.
2: Yeah. I mean, especially the Mia we've come to know, who seems to right. barely like anybody. Like, yeah, it's hard to believe she'd want a kid, even after seeing her with Pearl. Yeah, she's not particularly nice to Pearl. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, and it doesn't. And she leaves, and it's a you know, Pearl appears to be like a six-month-old baby by the time she bothers to call Pauline. I know. So mm-hmm. you're like, what, what, why you couldn't what? She wasn't going to talk to your family or tell the parents where you've gone with this baby they paid you to have. Like, no, it made no yeah. sense. Yeah. And in the book,
1: doesn't she know beforehand that Pauline is sick? It's not a surprise. It's not like she calls and they're like, oh, no, she died two months ago. Like, I, I can't Yeah, I think now, so but.
2: because... It, in the book, I believe she stays in touch with them. Like, she yeah, she sends postcards or something saying, like, here's where I am, whatever. And they call her and say – because she's able to go home, go back to New York and see Pauline before yeah. she dies in the book. right. So
1: that also – you know, it just – it made Mia's character more sympathetic. And the idea that we're just going to make Mia be a person that steals this baby, leaves without saying ghosts her girlfriend – and then mm-hmm. doesn't call for, you know, six months after and then it's like, oh, whoops, she died. Like it, it just <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to talk about because I, I don't have anything to say other than like I'm, I'm confused by the choices that were made. Like it, it's a very difficult episode to discuss because it just feels like the writers were like, OK, well, we need an exposition episode. We've got to get all of this backstory out, but it's not mm-hmm. enough to fill 50 minutes so we're gonna just add in a bunch of other stuff that doesn't
0: but did they need to get this backstory out does this backstory i to me it changes very little like if i do
2: need to we need to understand where pearl came from
0: yeah, yeah right okay but couldn't we have found that out in literally thousands of other ways that didn't involve yeah. this episode.
1: It didn't need to be a whole straight flashback episode, especially because we've been seeing yeah. flashbacks worked into the present day in previous episodes. So it's mm-hmm. not like they've only ever done exclusively flashback straight episodes. So to have the, the pacing of the show be broken up by an entire episode in flashback to deliver a piece of information that we pretty much were delivered at the end of the last episode, right? I mean, we were told by the parents, Elena was, that right. it's not her baby. So we kind of... We're figuring and we'd seen her pregnant. So we knew at that point she she had a baby and the baby wasn't hers. So you got to mm-hmm. have to assume at that point if it's not her baby and she was pregnant with the baby, it's a surrogacy thing. So
2: they could have, you know, done that quickly. <laughs> In the book, I think we get at least Elena figures out what's going on by tracking down some lawyers after she talks to the parents. Yeah. I think she talks to some lawyers who kind of make her understand more about what went on and then we do get a flashback chapter but it's only focused on Mia's situation we don't have all this weird none of this Elena stuff is incorporated which I think means it's time to move on to Elena and um what is going on in Shaker in 1983 um Well, I too would be stressed to have
1: four kids and be a child bride at 12 years old, which is certainly what it looks like.
0: Uh, Um, Okay, knowing that that you don't even have this, like, Elena backstory in the book, and even what I said about seeing that her choices, it's not that Elena had good choices necessarily. mm -hmm. I I felt that it, it it built up Elena's character in... It, it, I don't know. I don't know what their game plan is here with how they're trying to present these characters to us. And I felt like this whole backstory with Elena and involving the ex-boyfriend Jamie and seeing their other this other night that they'd met met up that he was referring to in the last episode. again, I just didn't need any of this
2: at all. No, I mean, I think the point here is we're supposed to understand that there was a time when elena wasn't so perfect and that she was thinking twice about this life that she set up and that in some ways she didn't mean to set up her life this way but yeah it it doesn't make a lot so another thing so we hear a couple times in this episode like oh that's not for people like us one of them is when um you know young bill and young elena and the richardsons are talking about trying to buy a house and one of the Richardsons tells um tells them to go move to Ludlow because they're practically paying white people not to leave Yeah, and I was like what and then and then Elena says those loans aren't for people like us and I'm like what does that mean I'm, I can't tell if she's being an asshole and just basically being like no I don't want to move there or if she's genuinely being like, no, that's for people who really need them, not people who have parents who will buy them. A you know what I mean? Oh, no. She like,
0: was being an asshole.
2: I don't know. Okay. I, I think there was
1: a really one of the most successful parts of this episode was the conversation that followed this one up between Elena and her mother, where Elena is, you know, saying, mm-hmm. well, it's my choice, applying that she could get an abortion. And her mother echoes it verbatim. That's not for us. And she goes, well, you know, you, we, of course it's for us. We were, I stood on a picket line with you saying it was, and she goes, no, it's not for people like us. And I think it's this, you know, they're trying to play with this idea that just because you're privileged and have conventionally good choices, doesn't mean there's not a code of conduct that that limits you. Mm -hmm.
2: And that's interesting because I kind of took it a little, not took it a little differently, but I was like. Listen, uh lady, rich white ladies are the ones who've always had access to abortion and have always had them on demand when they wanted it. True. No matter what the legal status was. So this is a load of horseshit that, like, she couldn't, like, yeah, you know, she wouldn't have to go to the sneak into the clinic. She'd, you know, her mom would send her away to some fancy hospital in California right. or something, and she'd come back a like, retreat. from a spa weekend. <laughs> a weight loss retreat or something. <laughs> like, it, exactly. And so... But I, I do take your point that, like, there are still, you're still confined.
1: I mean, I think that's the irony of the point is that white women historically have had access to any space they want, and yet they don't because of white culture, upper white crest culture. <laughs> They're like, heaven forbid that you have an abortion that's seen as murder and unclean, despite the fact that we believe abortion should be accessible for everyone. Like, I, I do feel. There is a current of that. I mean, I felt that way in my high school. Certainly, that you know, the few girls that did have abortions, it was incredibly stigmatized, despite the fact that they had all the access in the world to it, and it was nothing shameful. There was that, like, oh well, you know, she's rich. Couldn't her family have just taken care of the baby? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like Sarah Palin, yeah. you know, raising her daughter's baby instead of her having an abortion, which would probably be more appropriate for a sixteen-year-old getting pregnant. <laughs> I do think there is that line, though, that it's just like, well, you know, you have the resources, you have the money. So why would you terminate a pregnancy if, you know, you're rich?
2: Yeah. And I mean, it brings up the question like, you know, she says to her mom, like, well, isn't wanting isn't not wanting another kid enough reason? And yes, it is enough reason. And frankly, most women who have abortions already have children. And they're making the decision based on the fact that they, they don't have the time or resources to take care of those children if they have another one. And who would want to be the child of somebody who didn't
1: straight up want to have them? Like, that's clearly yeah, exactly. not worked that worked out well for Izzy and Elena.
0: Yes. I mean, <laughs> I guess this is supposed to be giving us that understanding of what kind of fuels this strained relationship between mm-hmm. Izzy and Elena. Um, but also I was confounded as to why she is sitting there just now asking about birth control options.
2: Yeah, me too. Me too.
0: Was that just so that was that outlandish to anyone else that this woman who is what in her like early 20s, mid 20s is just now as a sexually active woman with children being like, oh, doctor, what are my options? Uh, I mean, she was
2: having sex with Jamie and she wasn't pregnant. So like she was doing something. That's
1: true. Because I was yeah. you know, again, I was trying to come at this from like, okay, maybe it's a stigma thing. Maybe it's she's a young married wife. Like, why in that in the eighties would a young no. married wife be on birth control? But yeah, I mean, she certainly did not get pregnant with Jamie, so that's a good point.
0: Yeah, it was everything about that was jarring to me because I was like, well, we knew she was having sex for years. What mm-hmm. what has she been doing to not? to not get pregnant before why is she just asking about this is Pacey like,
1: just that fertile
0: yeah I, know. I guess
2: <laughs> Pacey is super sperm
1: the scene in, when the opening scene with all of them in bed together and just the mess of babies gave me straight up anxiety <laughs> I don't know why oh my anybody would she- want their sleep disrupted like that
2: and then he says to her last night was fun so yeah. I was like yeah Yo, the- you what? had like three babies in bed with you what were you doing <laughs> It's the equivalent of what Mia was doing in the front seat of that car. Oh, God, they're all Please
1: don't have sex in front of your small children. I think that's the point of this podcast now. Yes. We do not recommend (laughs) having sex in front of of your children. (laughs) Or on top of them.
0: Yeah, no. And with that Care Bear lying there on the bed, too. The Care Bear was definitely
1: part of the sex, let's be real.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Cheer Bear was, like, giving a Care Bear stare the whole time. Ugh.
2: (laughs) <laughs> oh god the only thing i could think of with why elena might not have been on birth control is because she's clearly still breastfeeding as we find out when she starts milking herself into the A damn sink i was hoping they was going to actually
1: show her milk herself like i was waiting for the squirt and i was like this is going to redeem the whole season if she squirts her breast milk into the sink right now or she starts squirting it and he opens the door and she squirts him in the face i was like waiting for that alas not this show
2: (laughs) but so i'm you know there's a lot a lot of women who think that you can't get pregnant while you're breastfeeding and while the chances are reduced it is not an efficient form of birth control. So I was wondering Wait, if she was people just think that? laboring under that. Oh yeah. People do oh, yeah. think
0: that, but obviously, she How does that make
2: biological that? sense though? It, it has nothing to do doesn't. with
1: your ovulation.
0: But it, obviously she doesn't think that or like couldn't possibly think that because she got pregnant every other time she was breastfeeding based on right. the age <laughs> difference with the children. It's yes.
2: Also, I don't believe like a woman of means in 1983 was breastfeeding even. Like I feel like that was very uh, sort like that was the prime age for like Babies get formula. You well, know? she
0: did go, she did get the formula, but didn't have any water due to their construction. Oh. In the but the house formula
1: thing. was a backup because she, that was after she was trying in vain to get the baby to latch and the baby wasn't latching. And then she's like, well, screw it, I'm going to go get formula. So I took that as like mm-hmm. the formula was the, you know, the stigmatized thing that it has become. They're like, oh, well, if you can't get your baby to latch, you have to go on formula and that's like not as good. And that's what was stressing her out.
2: Fair enough. Although after, I mean, she has been, like, breastfeeding for, like, five years, I feel like. There's yeah, those no teeth are I, dried I would, up. Yeah. <laughs> I like, would be like, I'm out. Like, this kid has to start eating hard food as soon as it comes out of the womb. Like, there's no way I'm doing this again.
1: I feel like Izzy's such a metal kid, though. She would have loved that. Like, give me that steak. I'm ready. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> probably not steak. Probably, like, a veggie burger, a Boca burger. So, one of the other things I was thinking here is, like, we're supposed to be comparing this this unwanted pregnancy to Lexi, right? And her yes. unwanted pregnancy. But I, honest to God, have no idea what we're supposed to think about it. Like,
1: Nothing. It's just cinematic parallels. That's what's driving me crazy. It's it's not with substance. It's not because it you know it wants a callback or something that's rewarding for the viewer. It's literally just a writer's room being like, you know, it would be fun if we made sure that the episode before <laughs> was like this episode because they both had babies. They didn't know what to do with, it. and one got an abortion, and the other didn't. Isn't that wild? Like I I can picture Life this. changing. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> I uh, this show is. At this point, just kind of pushing trying to like push all the right buttons, play all the right notes, mm-hmm. and that and i mean it's not it's not doing anything on any sort of level, it's just all very superficial, like Rebecca said, I mean, they're just trying to like think of ways to to like write a good story that has all these like parallels and juxtapositions and it's it's not it's just not at landing anywhere in a reality that makes you think or care or feel or challenge your own beliefs or ideas. Like I am just at this point at a total loss. And I, I like I said, I would have bailed. This episode would have been enough for me to be like, thanks. I'm all set. Little fires everywhere. I'm gonna go rewatch Tiger King. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So we also find out what she did to Jamie and what he was so pissed off about in the last episode, which is basically just leave him with blue blue balls balls in a hotel room and her boobs are leaking. So is it just me or is he like disproportionately pissed off about this? He's a baby. Glad she didn't end up with him. I
1: had no time for that. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Are you sad that you like a psycho drove six hours to meet this woman you haven't seen in a few years? Like, that's on you, boo. Like, that's a crazy thing to do. If somebody called me up out of the blue, I'd be like, okay, we can chat on the phone, but I'm not driving to Rochester. When that scene started yeah. happening, I paused it and went to my computer and Googled how far is Shaker from Manhattan because I really thought this show was trying to say that she drove to Manhattan. And they're like, oh, it's in Rochester. Mm-hmm. I'm like, still, who would do that? That's crazy. But okay, also, he's still in love with her Rochester friend. where?
0: New, York's New York. New York,
1: which I was also confused by. The, the math doesn't work.
0: Well, and I, also... <laughs> Like, Jamie is a pretty sexy guy, even with that weird, like, porn stash he's rocking mm-hmm. in the flashback. He's a pretty sexy guy. He's, like, in New York. He has, like, a job. There's no way he couldn't get sex in New York. So why are you driving to a, you know, shit den town like Rochester, New York? Sorry if anyone lives there. But, like, why are you driving there to ha- the with the potential of having sex with your old girlfriend who yeah. is, like, married and has... For fucking kids.
1: It was a straight up five hour drive from him to go from Manhattan to Rochester. And it's a three hour drive for her to go from Shaker to Rochester. Psycho. Psycho. Would never do that for Dick. And it would.
0: And has a, he also has a car living in New York.
1: Yeah. That's also psycho. Who has a car living in New York? No. bother I mean, me.
0: I had a car, but I lived in Brooklyn. Different. So, Not
1: different. New York.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. I I just feel like we're supposed to kind of feel like I, I don't i just felt like sorry for him that he was so pathetic that he is like desperately trying to like grab sex from his ex-girlfriend when he's in Well the he's York. in
2: love with her guys. He's still in love with her. She has had time to get married and have four hell-spawn, but he is still in love with her because he can't find anyone in New York City who compares to this lady who like can't live outside of Shaker Heights, Ohio.
0: And I mean, don't I buy get the it. sense of nostalgia. Men don't fall in love. Like, we've all done it, where you kind of, like, develop this, like, nostalgic love for an ex. And they're, you know, on, on a dark day, you, like, stumble back towards them with a you up text. But <laughs> it, it just, it never, <laughs> it never actually works out, or very rarely. And... uh Although I I bet they are done now because she left him with blue balls in 1982. She's done it again now in 1997. Is that where we're at? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm assuming if he has any self-respect, he's going to be like, "I'm all set with this." Hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, I I I don't know. I am so over all of these characters i am ready for this house to burn down guys yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) i i just really want like pearl and moody and izzy back like if they could do like a buddy comedy i'd be into that i think i i just oh god i and this seemed worse because we didn't even have the sort of we didn't have them we didn't have reese witherspoon who whoever this other actress is who's playing young elena She's fine, but we're not attached to her in the way we are to Reese Witherspoon. And at least we can be mad at Carrie Washington for most of the other episodes. Like, I just can't wait to get back to the normal flow of things. I really
1: miss the kids this episode. Like I think that's what's been really yeah. carrying me through. Yeah. The kids are doing such a great job of, of bringing pathos to the show that is otherwise, you know, can be highly heavy handed. And they're bringing that subtlety that has been so refreshing and I think that that's really where this episode went wrong is that you just don't have that change of pace and you're dealing with two characters that are pretty unlikable and it's it's difficult to feel connected to a television show where you're just sort of, I, I mean, I personally am pretty ambivalent about Elena and I don't like Mia, so ambivalence and dislike mm-hmm. don't make for a very compelling narrative.
2: And they're weirdly boring for they people are. who are terrible. Like I, Like, even though the kids' problems are sort of, I don't know, and maybe it's just because they're more realistic. I buy into them more. I don't really yeah. care about, like, Elena's vendetta against Mia or Mia's, you know, Mia's weird baby stealing. It's just not... That's not what's compelling about the story. And so...
1: The stakes are lower with the kids, but they feel higher. Like, I know the adult yeah. stakes are, are so high, but it's almost, like, too absurdly high. Like, you're just kind of like, okay, that's wild, I guess. But the kids at least... It's compelling. It invites us in. We can relate to that. We've all been in high school and dealt with some of these issues. And we've seen it in in pop culture a lot. I mean, this is a familiar place for us, the high school saga. Mm -hmm. But the kids are really elevating it. And I think if that was where the focus of the show was and Mia and Elena were more of these periphery characters and the kids were trying to, you know, take a more active role in figuring out that dynamic, I think it would have been a more successful adaptation.
0: Well, and also, the kids in this are spectacular actors. I Mm -hmm. also found myself... Wondering why, if they're going to cast someone who, like you pointed out, Rebecca, looks like a 12-year-old, why not have Lexi play the mom, play Reese Witherspoon in the flashbacks, play her mom? Because she looks more like her, arguably so, than uh, Anna Sophia Robb, and is a really interesting, nuanced little actress. More so, I think, than Anna-Sophia Robb. I think Anna-Sophia Robb did a good job trying to capture some of that like energy and uh, sort of some of her cadence. But, I, I mean, I don't know. The kids, I agree. For me, an episode without those kids carrying it really showed the flaws in writing and quality of this show.
1: And I think it would have been much more successful if they had treated Mia and Elena like they've been treating their children on the show, which is making them really believable characters. Like if Mia had, you know, when she did the bump of cocaine, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Are they going to go down the path that has led Mia to, you know, being a chronic marijuana user? Is she going to go on a Coke bender? (laughs) Is she going to go rage at a disco? Is she going to go have a bunch of casual sex? But it's contradictory time and time again. Like, okay, we get that Mia's a virgin. We get that she's, you know, somewhat repressed and boring. And, and these exciting things that are happening to her are happening because other people put them on her. And she doesn't absorb any of it. It doesn't seem like she grows from these experiences. She's just still kind of this, like, waffly, winnowy girl kind of lost up in bigger actions happening around her until she take, makes, you know, the big decision at the end to keep the baby, which is the first time I really see the character expressing any agency of her own.
2: Yeah, and it might be the only time we do, honestly. I'm trying to think of another example in the episode, and I can't. Everything is
1: like, I guess her going off to art school is agency mm -hmm. to some degree. It it just... I feel like the kids are so much better written than the adults, and they had the opportunity. If they are, if the writing team is good at writing kids, I don't know why they didn't apply that to the kids in this episode. They just felt Maybe...
0: I mean, we talked about this, I think, before, that there were so many writers working on this show that maybe it's just too many cooks in the kitchen, yeah. and everyone had ideas, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, let's go with that, too. Oh, oh yeah, let's throw that in. I mean, maybe there's just too much happening, and that's why it's just not enough. But there, there this, this was really uh, a disappointing... Honestly, like everything that we needed to know from this episode could have been done in one of those like flashbacks, like what we were getting in the other episodes where it was like before the credits, you know, like this like five minute, um, Mm -hmm. this like five minute showing of, of the past because, uh, and also like this, one of my favorite things in this show is all the nineties references, (laughs) I don't remember. I don't know nineteen the early nineteen eighties. I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. So without the like charm and and uh, styling of the nineties, I was left with nothing to grab here, nothing to grab onto.
2: I, I don't even think there was any, well. So let's let's jump ahead for a minute because um, this week instead of ninety spotting, we have to do eighty spotting. But I don't even think there was that much. That was that 80s about this. The only thing I could come up with was like, there's sort of an allusion to the early days of hip hop when yep. we see the DJs yeah. um, the playing The Reagan out. call out,
1: the, you know, the leather jacket that she was wearing with the big shoulders. I mean, I thought that the, consistently mm-hmm. the styling has been kind of fun and the musical cues have been on point. And, you know, they like to make their little presidential references to let us know where we are in time. But it's losing its charm. I, I think... The nostalgia was something that really drew me into wanting to watch this show in the first place. And it's, it carried me through the first couple episodes, and now I'm just used to it. It's like, okay, yep, it's period. It's it's going to be a period episode, yeah. and this time it's going to be in the 80s. It just isn't – it doesn't have the same pull it did in the first few episodes.
0: No, and the Care Bear was the only thing that I liked. Oh, yeah, the Care Bear, to. yeah. <laughs> um, that, was, that was like the only gem um, for 80s nostalgia for me. I mean, I got that they tried to, like, really style up, you know, Mia's little Michael Jackson-esque leather jacket. I was like, all right, that seems cool, but. uh I- Although I
2: feel like, again, it was too early, actually, because
0: that yeah, jacket's
2: de- very bad. She looks a lot like uh, she actually w- with her hair up in a certain way, and she reminds me a lot of th- both Michael and his date in the Thriller
0: video. I was going <laughs> to say, and Thriller was, like, eighty. 80- five right I don't yeah know. It,
2: was, it was later than this yeah, they, yeah yeah
0: she had that like thriller vibe and i was like i think you're a little ahead of your time here honey bunny mm-hmm. um uh, and then again her I, brother
2: then, warren has the flat top and i was like is this the only way you can let us know that like this black man is not existing in current times like this, it's justice for the black hairstyling of, of the men
1: like why why do they all have flat tops yeah That's racist
0: i i don't
2: know <laughs> So was uh, that our 80s spotting? Have we listed everything we could possibly list?
1: I'm trying to think if there's anything else, but I really can't. Um, no, I don't think
2: so either. So the who's music, the worst but... parent of this episode? Oof. I don't know.
0: You know what? I'm going to go with Mia's mom. Like, oh, yeah. the fact, yeah. <laughs> that The fact that she's like, you can't come to your brother's funeral because you're knocked up. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you are literally the worst. Yeah. Um, and she was pretty bad. Earlier, like I, I was getting like not great vibes from her when she was, you know, praying over her daughter at the dinner table, going off to college in New York. I was like, oh, this woman, and so she's the worst. She gets my vote. There it is.
2: Yeah, I think she was my vote too. But since you said that, I'm gonna go with Elena's mom, who is Ooh. like the least supportive asshole I've ever. Like, I'll give you money to just exist for the rest of your life, but. I can't support you in the fact that you don't want to have, like, your fourth kid in as many years. Like, that chick's a bitch.
1: I mean, I would definitely agree. I don't think we can say either of the other usual suspects will be the worst this Mm -hmm. episode. I mean, she's not a mother, but... The lady who stole a baby. Yeah. I mean, that's bad. (laughs) Admittedly Mm -hmm. bad. Don't do that. But I I know Pauline's not a mother, but she had that like weird maternal relationship that with Mia, that then she essentially exploited into a sexual relationship. So I wasn't thrilled about mm-hmm. that. I thought that was sketchy. And she certainly did play on those. I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom kind of vibes to lure her in. But yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Yeah. Oof.
2: And, and she says, like, I, I, for, I can't believe we didn't touch on this. I forgot, but she says to Warren, like anyone can become a mother which is like Mm
0: -hmm. yeah she should run that theory by uh linda (laughs) yeah linda richardson
2: um and like how does that fit into the rest of this show where like motherhood is so all-encompassingly important to everyone in this show and then there's this one who lady who's just like anyone can like plop out a kid like that well it makes you deal. wonder
0: see this is why Mia's mother is the worst because if she had just <laughs> let her daughter go to the funeral mm-hmm. Mia would have turned that I, I it, things might have turned out differently like that was like yeah. the turning point moment for Mia that like rejection from her family made mm-hmm. her like snap and be like fuck this I'm gonna have a family of my own and oh look conveniently one is growing inside me <laughs> Yeah, like yeah so that's why that was like the one moment where I felt sympathy for Mia maybe for the first time ever in this series so maybe that is the good moment of this flashback episode that I have like some redeeming quality where I can like look at Mia and be like oh yeah something really shitty did happen to you but mm-hmm. it also you know I mean, her over... Her her reaction, overreaction, if you will, and just kind of how she chose... The choices she made in that moment were not great. The baby stealing and all of that. Mm-mm. But I I, I I found myself wondering... Well, wonder what it would have happened if...
2: If only she'd gotten to go to that funeral. Yeah. Um, so there... I only remember a couple of songs from this episode, but what's your favorite, Rebecca? So... I initially had
1: written down um, the Aretha song at the beginning, "Take Me With You," because it's Aretha, and then I, I really did mm-hmm. enjoy the Meredith Brooks bitch cover um, at the end. That was actually covered by Ruby Manfu, which I was excited to hear. Usually, oh, I'm glad I don't really,
2: you found out who that was.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not like a huge fan of these like covers they're doing of trendy '90s songs that when they could just play the original one. I, you know, and you're mm-hmm. going to tell me that Hulu can't afford that, please. Um, but I, I thought that this cover of bitch was nice. So I guess I'll go with that one.
0: I kind of dig the covers. I, I like a good cover. Cause if I love a song or even just like a song, I, I sometimes find myself really enjoying like the new take on it. And these are interesting takes on these songs. And, uh, I did like that one a lot, although I was bothered because I was like, oh, is this how we're transitioning back to the 90s? Yeah. I felt like it being an 80s episode, they could have gone with an 80s song in this moment.
1: Yeah, like they could have done Um, a a cover of like Like a Virgin while she was getting inseminated. Oh, I
0: (laughs) I was totally thinking that, too. I was like, oh, let's get like an acoustic Like a Virgin up in here. Um, But we didn't get that. Instead, we get Meredith Brooks' Bitch, which is a pretty badass song that this cover kind of made a uh, sort of sad sounding, which was weird to me. So I liked it and yet I didn't like it. I thought it was the best song in the episode because to me it was kind of like, mm, probably the only like really like memorable one. But again, it like missed the mark for me in the same way the whole episode did.
2: Oh. Yeah. Um, I really liked the Marvin Gaye song, Piece of Clay. But one of the things about like, Marvin Gaye or even Aretha is like they're so timeless there's nothing really period specific about it to me yeah the way that say Meredith Brooks who's never been heard from again since the 90s is you know um so it, it doesn't really feel it's like saying like the temptations or something you know they're just so timeless and forever that you're like I couldn't even tell you when this song came out because it's just a staple um yeah, no, I would completely but, agree. Yeah. Well, we once again find ourselves at the end of an episode feeling like what are we going to talk about next week? Maybe we could start <laughs> yelling about Dave Matthews band again for like half an hour. Oh, that was fun.
0: Yeah. We still haven't gotten I our answer sh-
2: about the meat hose. I yeah. asked everybody on
1: Instagram, let me know. I know some of you out there have inside inside scoop on
2: Taco Bell. DM us. We need to know. Yeah, someone sent us a picture of the clogged meat hose. Please. It's important to us. (laughs) No,
0: please, guys. I'm not sleeping well as it is. I don't need to see see clogged meat hoses.
2: (laughs) And I think that's a good note to end on. We'll see you next week, guys.